Good afternoon. It's just after five o'clock UK time. Uh, um, uh, welcome to this week's What Comes Next Live. Um, I'm coming to you from London and my guest is Martin Perry, who, for reasons unbeknownst to us and perhaps him, he's in Newcastle today. Uh, Martin was introduced to me as, as it'd be, make a fantastic guest for the, sh for the show from a mutual friend, Christine Essen, who's also been on the show in the past. Um, Martin has some fantastic celebratory news around his table tennis to, to share. Um, um, but to, first of all, let over to you, Martin, just to introduce yourself. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, I'll be sure to send Christine a message of thanks to say for uh, putting my name forward. But yes, a little bit about me. Uh, I'm Martin Perry. I'm 28 years old from uh, Paisley, which is just outside Glasgow in Scotland. And a uh, fun fact about me is that I was born with no hands and only one leg. So, you know, the obvious career choice when you have such a incredible disability is, of course, to pursue table tennis, because why not? It's only the fastest racket sport there is, so uh, it made sense to pursue that as a career, having no hands. And um, it's uh, it certainly served me well, that's for sure. Um, and I did look... Um look up any news under your name and uh, Google Alerts was full of all kinds of stuff. So tell us what happened last week. Uh, yeah, hopefully all positive stuff there on Google. But yeah, um, last week I was at the uh, World Championships in Granada in Spain and I was very fortunate to be there in the first place and I ended up coming home with a very shiny bronze medal proudly around my neck which was absolutely fantastic it was my first world championships mm -hmm. and to uh, to come home with a medal was just just an incredible feeling you know it's the it's the best i've ever felt on a on a competition scale and it was just tremendous to come home with that medal uh fantastic yeah and i looked at it and i was uh <laughs> never a competitive table tennis player but i was a competitive squash player for many years and uh, looking at the, anyone wants to look up, look up Martin Perry's Table Tennis World Championship. Um, the news article on it was basically talking about the scores and the games and how they progressed in that in that game. Um, very very tight and an awful lot of determination and guts to squeak it out basically. So um, well done. Um, but we've zoomed right to the the, the, the front of this. Uh, broadly speaking, the, I've had over a hundred guests on this podcast now. And they're very eclectic from all kinds of different backgrounds. Not sure we've had any world championship medalists on before. Um, that's fantastic. We have had another Scot, Mark Beaumont, on before, who's a good pal of mine. And he's he's basically Superman um, and uh, went around the world in under 80 days on a bike. Um, and in fact, just did the North Coast 500 in 28 hours. And yes, that's 500 miles in 28 hours. <laughs> Um, so a number of athletes and a lot of business leaders and people from that kind of background. Um, and the general theme I tend to have is around leadership. Um, and one of the things around that has to be around state of mind and resilience and um, what, you know, how how much do we know ourselves and who we are. So I it's pretty obvious, but I'm, I'm quite interested. And you started out immediately making a gag about like play the fastest racket sport in the world. Um, the obvious choice, of course, not chess, but table tennis. <laughs> it's like, um, but you've got very good Scots, Scots humour uh, around it all. Um, but, um, at a time when we've come, all come through COVID, uh, an awful lot of people who 
don't have the challenges and I guess then opportunities that, that you've had looking at positively um, will struggle with resilience and um, mindset and things like this. So, you know, wait, why not uh, just say a little bit about your journey to where you've got to today and there will be things in your journey that, that you know, I'm sure will be great lessons for any of us and great opportunities for learning for any of us. Yeah, I mean, growing up, uh, for me, obviously, had its challenges, you know. Um, but I've, thankfully, as I'm sure you've worked out, always been able to see the positive side of those challenges, mm-hmm. you know, and I've always had a positive mindset. And I feel like I owe a lot of that to my three older brothers. Mm-hmm. You know, from 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 the get go, they just simply didn't care that I had no hands on one leg. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, they just wanted to use it to their advantage. You know, so we would play football as kids growing up, and it's like, well, Martin will go in goals because he's got no hands, and we'll score lots of goals. You know, so they they were just seeing this as positives from for for them. Um, but what they didn't realise is that was making me more and more determined to right. to save their shots and to and to not have them winning. You know, so. A lot of my determination comes from my brothers and not wanting to lose to them. Mm. And uh, so for that, I can only thank them. But yeah, um, of course, there was there was difficult times growing up, you know, when I had to have uh, part of my leg amputated um, on, on the on the shorter leg that I've already got. You know, I was born with just over half of my left leg, but I never had a foot. And there was complications at five and then again at 10 years old, which resulted in me losing um what lower half of my left leg I had so I now only have to my knee joint um you know so that was obviously a very painful time for me but you know again my family was there and and they got me through it they again didn't see this as a setback or something to feel sorry for myself about they were just like well we're gonna have to get on with it because that's life you know if if, if I sat and felt sorry for myself I, I definitely wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today so yeah. You know, I owe them. I owe them an incredible amount, and I don't think I'll probably ever be able to pay that back. Uh, but thankfully, they they're just so happy and proud to see me traveling the world, doing what I love for a living. And I guess that's that's payment enough for them. But you know, it's it's something that I guess growing up as a kid in Paisley with no hands and one leg, I and I, I never once dreamed that I would be a professional athlete. You know, um, para sport wasn't a thing for me growing up. It was just playing with my brothers. It was going to school and taking part in physical education classes. It was going to the odd Rangers match now and again. That was sport. That was my mm-hmm. life involved in sport. Um, but I knew that I loved competing. I knew that I had this crazy determined attitude whenever mm. I played whatever it was I was playing. And um you know, that led me to play rugby for the for the school team. It was able bodied school playing seven aside rugby at fifteen years old. Uh we ended up winning the, the Renfrewshire Cup, which was it got published in the local paper and a member from Scottish Disability Sport ended up seeing that article and in turn I got invited to a Scottish Disability Sport summer camp mm-hmm. where I somehow picked up a table tennis bat and just mm. absolutely fell in love. You know, if you'd told me that day that within, you know, five, six years, I'd be living and training as a full-time athlete down in England um, and that I would be representing not only Scotland, but Great Britain all over mm. the world, 
I'd have definitely laughed at you because I, I couldn't even hold the bat. You know, I could barely hit the ball, but I did it all with a smile on my face because right. I'd never encountered table tennis before and this was a new challenge. This was something new to overcome. But ultimately, I was I was having fun. That was the main thing for me. I was having fun playing table tennis for lucky if it was an hour that day. And yeah. uh, I managed to get invited along to Drumchapel Table Tennis Club. And from that first night, I was just so accepted at the club you know, they, they, mm-hmm. they really don't care your level, um, if you've got a disability or not, your age, gender, nothing. It's just everyone is so accepted uh, at the drum, as we call it. Right. And um, I, I was accepted on, on day one and it just sort of slowly and slowly took over my life. And I, about maybe a year in, I, I managed to get down to watch London 2012 Paralympic Games. Mm. I saw... Paralympics GB win two medals that day and I was like that's it this is this is what I, I'm going to do I don't know how I'm going to do it but this is what I'm going to do I'm going to be like these guys and girls that I've just watched mesmerize not only the UK but the world and I just I, I found a way to train almost every day um, by skipping far too many university lectures uh, I I sacrificed uh, a lot, you know, in, in order to to be able to do that and to train every day. And uh, after about a year and a half of of witnessing London firsthand, I got I got a call um, to say, you know, look, do you want to come and live and train full time in Sheffield and be part of the British Power Table Tennis family? And and I absolutely jumped at the opportunity, and I haven't looked back since. And I've been all over the world now and, and I've won over 60 medals representing Great Britain and the one that fills me with the most pride is the one that I managed to win on Thursday, um, you know, winning that bronze medal. I don't know if you've seen the celebration uh, when I won the match, but I just about screamed my head off. I lost <laughs> my voice for three days after it. Um, if you watch the video, you'll yeah, it was just such an amazing feeling being able to, to come home saying that I've medaled at the World Championships. I didn't see that, but I did see a picture you posted of the, the regulars at Drum Chapel Table Tennis Club watching it live. And for the listening audience on the podcast um, who don't see Martin's face on video, I'm sure you can hear his smile, if, if that makes any sense. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an amazing story. And I'll, I'll, I'll gloss over the fact that you're a Rangers fan, you know, because you know, that's not acceptable. But anyway... <laughs> We've all got to pay for our sins. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I, you know, I'm a heavy, so it's like you know we never win anything, so it's fine, you know. Um, uh, sorry, a bit of insular Scottish chat going on for the global audience, and uh, I'll, I'll apologise. So it's it's yeah, I mean the timing of this with the boom in para sports uh, globally, but also in the UK is amazing, and um, the uh, I'm a one of my my gigs is that I'm a FINA referee, which is the world governing body for swimming. And um, I've got from a, initially, I'll be honest, it's from a technical level, I got involved in para swimming right, as an official because it's, it's, it's much more complicated because there are all the different grades and stuff that they have and how they handle it. Um, and, you know, what is, what is a certain person allowed to do? What are they not allowed to do? Um, but what, what really struck me um, was I was at a meet, a para, specialist para meet that also has, because to get enough people in the pool, they also have special Olympics there. Um, so it's a, a real mix of, of folk. Um, 
And there were quite what I did notice is quite a lot of first time officials seem seem to look at the athletes as being very different from other athletes because they're going, oh, look at their loss of limb or loss of movement or height or whatever. And um, it's something that just struck me is that the more the a whole lot of us are more experienced just go, well, they're, they're athletes, right? So you just turn around and you talk to them. They're just absolutely just athletes. Um, and, you know, people are yeah, but, you know, you need to talk to their coach. I'm going, just because they're <laughs> short a limb or two doesn't mean they're not athletes. I go talk to them. If I'm a senior official, I've got something to talk about. I do that. And the, the it does make me, uh, your, 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 your story about losing part of that leg made me think of uh, what some other athletes go through. And there's a, an athlete that I've met in London, um, officiating called Alice Ty, who's one of Britain's um, top parasimmers, and she won medals, a whole bunch of medals this summer. Um, and she had her uh, both of her legs, the whole leg, but one of them was profoundly disabled, and she had to go ahead, the amount of pain she was in, she had to go ahead and get it, get it amputated, I think less than a year ago. Um, so, um, but... You know, it's like it's not but and it's just part of who it's just part. It was a very tough part of the journey, but it's just it's just part of the journey. And um, it is quite uh, I'm inspired by athletes. I'm inspired by the effort they put in um, the particular journey they've gone through, whether they're, you know, um, whatever their bodily composition is um, to me is it's just interesting to me. It's like it, it doesn't really matter. It's like, what are they like as a person? What are they like in the pool? What do they do with what they've got? And that's not to say it isn't truly inspirational. It absolutely is. It's truly inspirational to see people who've come through difficulties that I'm not even sure. I, I hesitate to use the word able-bodied. The able-bodied people don't don't even have any cognizance of. They know what it's like to train. You know, two of my two of my sons were elite swimmers, right? But you know, they don't. They I haven't been through the same things. But I think at a certain point, it's just it's perhaps just it is it is what you are. It is who you are. And you said you mentioned there's a para table tennis center in Sheffield. Is that right? So there's actually funding for the, the team, and then that enables you to be professional at some level. Yeah, exactly. And, and a lot of folk uh, don't believe me when I tell them that I'm a professional table tennis player. You know, right. um, people always ask me, "What do you do for a living?" I say, "I'm a professional table tennis player." And then they say, "Yeah, but what's your job?" And I'm like, well, "I've just told you, I'm a professional table tennis player." And um, they're more amazed at the fact that I play table tennis professionally than the fact that I have no hands and I'm playing table tennis. <laughs> you know, and I think that shows. I think that shows the the position that we've got to uh, in the UK around disability and around para sport is the fact that no one bats an eyelid hmm. that I have no hands and one leg. But what does raise an eyebrow is they go, "Oh, you can actually play table tennis professionally. That's a mm-hmm. thing." And I'm like, "Yes, it is because I do it." <laughs> um, so yeah, so we are a fully funded program uh, through the UK Sport Lottery funding, uh, based in Sheffield. And you know, we've got a number of athletes there, all full time, coaching staff, physiotherapists, sports psychologists. Um, you name it, we've got it, and uh, it's it's a fully you know professional outfit. And it's it's something that I obviously was unaware of for such a long time. Uh, mm. But we are, you know, we're, we're a very well funded sport. Um, so so keep playing the lottery because it helps. Right. And <laughs> um, that's that's where, that's where we get all of our funding, and you know, it's, it allows us to go and perform to the best of our abilities all over the world. And you know, that's for every athlete that you see at the Olympic and Paralympic Games. Um, 
all of them or just about all of them from from Great Britain will be funded through uh, UK Sport and the National Lottery. So, you know, without that, without people putting their hand in their pocket and and buying lottery tickets, we wouldn't have the success we would we have as a as a nation at the Olympic and Paralympic Games. Hmm. So what's so you as I understand it, you got a you got a wild card into the worlds. Um, and I did, now, yeah. but now you've won a bronze. What what's next? Does that give you qualification or ranking points into the, the into other things or from a sporting? What's standpoint, next what's is next? hopefully. Uh, what's next is hopefully a pay rise. <laughs> that would be good. Say what? A pay rise. <laughs> that would be good. Um, but yeah, I I should hopefully be securely inside the top ten in the world now, which is uh, which is a first for me. You know, I've been banging on the door for about 18 months now um, and finally with these results and coming home with the bronze medal I should um, fingers crossed be be locked inside the top 10 in the world now which would be an amazing achievement it's something that obviously I've been chasing for a long long time um, you know every athlete wants to be number one in the world but you've, you've got to take small steps in order to get there you know I remember when I first got on the top 50 I that was number one in the world for me that felt amazing and then you slowly start to climb the ladder and, you know, you go top 30, top 25, top 20. I broke into the top 14 for a little bit. Um, and that's when you start getting to, like, automatic qualification criteria for Paralympic Games. So to be inside top 10 in the world um, puts me in a massive uh, advantageous position going forward towards Paris in 2024. Mm. I was gonna. That's the obvious one to ask about. So they have para table tennis at the next Olympics, do they? Yeah, yeah. So the next Paralympic Games in in, in Paris has has got table tennis. We're one of the longest standing Paralympic sports. Right. Um, we're always very well represented. So you know there will be multiple events uh, at Paris 2024. But um, next year we have the European Championships uh, in Sheffield. Which mm. will be great because, you know, I don't think we've ever had a home major championships in the UK for para table tennis. So we're obviously looking on, looking to put on a show for everyone that comes along. But mm-hmm. ultimately, you know, if we perform well next year, then that will all but guarantee us a spot at the Paralympic Games. So, you know, there's still a lot of pressure on it, but also we get to put on a home games and, and show the world that the UK can deliver top elite sport um not just an able boy but obviously in the parasite as well mm-hmm. so yeah so great news that you got the the bronze and that locks you into the top 10 and then now it's a, from the sound of it, it's a bit of a team qualification piece as well as well as individual so what does your training look like and what does your day or week look like as a professional table tennis player um, for me, it's different week by week. Um, post COVID, I, I I moved back home to yeah. to actually be able to spend time with my wife, um, and I've just I've pretty much stayed ever since. Um, so so yeah, it varied week by week. For example, this week being down in Newcastle, uh, where my wife works, uh, I'll you know I, I'm not actually training on the table this week because I just got back from the World Championships, but. Mm-hmm. I will go to the gym every day. Um, but next week, I'll be training in Drum Chapel, uh, Monday to Friday or potentially Tuesday to Saturday. Uh, and then one week a month, I have to be in Sheffield for a, a, a British Para performance camp. Um, so regardless of 
you know, whether you're based in Sheffield or like myself in Scotland, some of the guys are based in Wales, um, we'll all sort of congregate in Sheffield as a team and, and train together Monday to Friday, nine until five, with obviously putting in gym sessions in there as well and meeting with the psychologist, meeting with the video analysis, physiotherapist, all that. And um, so for me, it varies week by week, but ultimately it, it's it's five days a week on the table um, for at least four or five hours a day. Um, so it's, it's pretty, it's pretty full on. Uh, and then when I'm not on the table, I'm, you know, I've got a gym session either in between sessions or first thing in the morning or last thing at night. So, um, yeah, a lot of early to bed and early to rise for me. Um, and it's, it's tiring. It certainly is tiring at times, but I love it. You know, I get to work out and play a sport for my living. What more could I ask for? That's fantastic. Absolutely. Now, one of my dear friends has also been a podcast uh, guest on uh, on here. Um, his name is Ian Armiger, and he basically built the Loughborough Swimming Program um, mm. for many years. And there's a coaching award called the Sam Musabini Award, which is actually named after the first professional coach in any UK sport who was, if you might have seen Chariots of Fire, the movie, he was the coach of Harold Abrahams in that movie. And to this day, coaches aren't really highly regarded in the Olympic movement, so they're not allowed to go in the opening ceremony. Um, but it's an award given to the top coach across all sports. And um, Ian won that a number of years ago. Uh, amazing guy. And I asked him one time, um, you work with fast swimmers. They're already the fastest in their age group when they come to Loughborough. And they had something like 14 swimmers at London 2012, right, for multiple countries. So what coaching do you do? Because you've got a whole bunch of coaches there. There's some of the, you know, top coaches in the country working there. It's just, for the last 20 years, I just coach the, the inches between the ears. Um, so I guess the thought for me is having got into the world top 10 and having won, um, I'm not giving you much time to rest in your laurels, am I? Um, but having just won a world championship bronze. There is, there's always going to be the baseline of gym fitness, nutrition, rest, four or five hours on the tables, video analysis, etc. What's going to make the difference that, that has you go into Paris 2024 as, let's just, you know, challenge you as a medal favorite? To be honest, um, it, it, it's amazing what self-belief can do. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that these results are going to inflate my head and, and, boost my ego but what they will do is give me a lot of confidence moving forward you know I, I now know that I can perform at a top level um, and, and that of course gives me a lot of confidence because I've, I've believed that for a long time but ultimately I didn't qualify for Tokyo I didn't qualify for this world championships I missed out by one spot on the on the official ranking list you know so I was one spot too low to qualify automatically I was then given a wild card and you know one of, one of the things that our sports psychologist said to me was like, look, you do deserve to be there, so go and prove it. And and, and, I, and I feel like I have, yeah. you know, but it's, it's don't get me wrong, that nothing's a given in life, you know, just because I've got had these great performances um, doesn't mean that they're just going to come easy next time. You know, I have to work just as hard, if not harder, to mm-hmm. in order to repeat this because... You know, that, that feeling that I had on the table was, was tremendous and I'm going to do everything that I can in my power to make sure that I feel like that again. Um, just the, the, the sheer release of raw emotion when I won that final point mm. to get the bronze medal was, was 
amazing. Um, it, it truly was. So, to be honest, moving forward, I have to work harder than I have to get here because at the end of the day, I'm, I reckon I'm going to be nine in the world um, and I've got a bronze medal. Well, if I look at that subjectively, there's eight people above me and there was two people that finished above me at the World Championships. So, you know, there's always areas that I can improve. There's always mm-hmm. ways that we can move forward and, and strive to be better. So, you know, the job's not done getting bronze uh, and the job's certainly not done finishing inside the top 10 for this year. I, I've got to go and improve next season. I've got to make sure that I have a strong and consistent year next year in order to stay in the top 10. Uh, but ultimately, we don't know the criteria for Paris 2024. Mm. Um, so, you know, even though I'm sitting here at top 10 in the world, the criteria could come out in January and it could be top five. Mm. So therefore, for automatic qualification, I, I won't be in a good enough position. So ultimately, I have to go and improve. I have to get back on the table. I have to go back into the gym. You know, I landed on Sunday. Monday morning, I was back in the gym. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it doesn't stop. You know, we always have to keep pushing forward. So it sounds like you've already got a, a psychological anchor, which is to once again have that raw emotion feeling release of a, a big win. And you may have to have several of those big wins to get to where you want to be for Paris 2024. Um, if I was to talk to your sports psychologist and say, tell me about Martin. What, what, what are his key strengths? What would the psychologist say? Uh, I definitely think he would, he would say grit and determination. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I do believe I'm one of the best fighters in the world but I hope I don't get misquoted and someone puts that into a boxing contest because I can't think of anything worse but in a table tennis (laughs) in a table tennis battle I believe I'm one of the biggest fighters in the world um the 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 Italian that actually won the world championships um Mm. he beat me in the semi-final uh but he you know he he said to me he goes I hate playing you uh, we're, we're very close off the day. We said, I hate playing you simply because I know that you're always going to keep coming at me and you're not going to give up right. no matter the score. So you just reminded me there's, um, there's a book called Grit. Have you read it? I've not, no. There's a book by Angela Duckworth called Grit. And she within it, she talks about several case studies. And to grit is passion times perseverance. And that kind of seems like it captures you. And in there, my, there is, my kids love basketball. And in fact, the oldest one, who's your age, um, his middle name is Jordan. So, you know, I love basketball, but uh, you also know who I think the greatest of all time is. And it's not LeBron James. Um, but actually, in terms of athletes I've seen and just the wow factor of watching them at their best, still to this day, to me, the goat, the greatest of all time is a, is a distant swimmer called Katie Ledecky. Um, who in the Olympics and World Championships is a long distance swimmer and she literally laps the rest of the field. Mm. And she's very well quoted in this book. But I just thought um, if Angela Duckworth had met Martin Perry, um, she might say, this guy's got a lot of grit, passion times perseverance. <laughs> and I do, lo- I do love that idea of, the anchor, of having an anchor, not a you know, how many points do I need to get, et cetera, but, but actually reaching for that feeling of what it felt like for you just last week when you 
when you, you know, won the match point. Um, because you, you did grind it out from us, from what I remember, if I remember correctly, look at the score, you got to 8 all, and did, you yeah, was, 11, and you had to squeak it out, you know? Yeah, I was, it's not even that, it's, it's yeah, it is first to 11, but I was 7-2 down, um, oh. and I remember looking over at my opponent, and, and I, I, I don't know, maybe it was the way I looked at him, he just started shaking like a leaf, um, <laughs> so, and that, and that filled me, that filled me with, that filled me with, like, just belief that actually I'm, I'm still in this, and then, it went from I went from seven two down to as you said eight all, um, and it was actually it wasn't until after I, I then went ten eight down, so he only needed one more point, uh-huh. you know, and I ended up I ended up winning that twelve ten, uh, which was which was amazing. But it wasn't until after the match that uh, when I went seven two down, I found out that two of my teammates were taking a little wager on whether I would win or not, <laughs> and uh, and and. To be honest, they, they they both said yes, but they just didn't know the, the fashion that it was going to be. So one said that I would lose that set and it would go to a, a fifth set decider. And the other one said, no, he's going to win this set from 7-2 down and he'll win 3-1. And um, so apparently with every point that I won to go from 7-2 to 8-7 up, um, he was just like 1-2. He, <laughs> he was just counting them up. He's like... And eventually he was like, yeah, there's there's like six in a row. And, and the other one just did his head in his hands. And he's like, I've never wanted him to win so badly, but also lose at the same time. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so it, it was good. And that that was amazing. I'm intrigued by it because I've, I've got my own parallel experiences on, on, a, on a major event, not world championships, but a major event. Um, the two things, first of all, is that if, some, if your opponent looks across the table at you and, go, and goes, He's never going to give up, right? He's that, that's, you've all, you're already halfway to winning when that happens. But the other, the question really is, when you were 7-2 down, how aware were you in the moment of the actual score? Or were you just playing one point at a time? Um, well, both, to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, you know, obviously I, I was aware that it was 7-2 and I was, I was pretty upset at myself for that. Um, but that that just filled me with more determination. Who who doesn't love a comeback story? Mm. Um, you know, so I I knew it was seven two down. But table tennis, your average rally is about three shots. Mm. So to put that into perspective, if I serve to you, you return the ball. Chances are, it's going to be over before then, or the next ball um, mm. will will we'll finish that rally. So the momentum can shift so quickly. Um, so I knew, you know, if I can get it back to Obviously, going from 7-2, I had my serve 7-3, and I'm thinking, right, okay, if I can take two of his serves at 7-5, and then I'm serving again, the pressure's on him. So, you know, that all happens in the space of about 20 seconds. Hmm. So momentum massively shifts in table tennis so, so quickly. And, um, you know, I, I, I was very clever. Um, so in, in table tennis, every six points, you're entitled to a towel break. Hmm. Um, so when it went 7-5, I was entitled to a towel break. I didn't take it. I, I I served really quickly, so my opponent couldn't take it either, um, and just kept the pressure on. So it was something that you know I knew I knew I was down, but I knew if I kept the pressure on, I could I could really turn the tables. And and thankfully, you know, my, my tactics worked. I knew I was doing the right things. It just wasn't paying off in the first half of the set, and I kept chipping away and 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 managed to win. So yeah, it was it was amazing. I used I played one match in, in squash. The the rules used to be slightly different. They play similar scoring to table tennis now, but it used to be that you had to have the serve 
um, to score a point. And so when you were actually receiving serve, you were super defensive because you were just looking to get the serve back. And so one of the reasons they changed it is that at the professional level, which I was not at, but at the professional level, the games could go on for two hours and it just mm-hmm. became attrition, right? They still could be 45 minutes to an hour. But back in those days, I played a competitive match with somebody and it's best of five. Um, and the first game took 28 minutes and I won it 10-8. And I walked off and everybody went, well done, that was great. And I went, I'm going to lose 3-1 now. <laughs> it's like, and this wasn't me giving up. This is just me. I was playing somebody who, much like you didn't take the towel break, they were famous for never calling a let or having any stoppage. They were incredibly fit, and they just wanted to wear you out. So they mm. didn't care that they'd lost the first game because they, they lost the battle, but they knew they'd already won the war. And it was, it was a unique and learning, learning experience to me is like, Okay, I'm one nil up, and I'm going to lose three one. It was there was no mental side of it. I was physically broken. <laughs> it's like, um, but no, great uh, great story. I particularly like the towel change story. So, um, fantastic to hear uh, that uh, that I yes, I also was not aware that that Britain was had uh, a fully funded uh, table tennis team, and that you're able to be a professional athlete, travel the world, win sixty medals so far. Um, to 62, not that I'm counting. 62, not the accountant. Um, it's always the next one, right? So let's uh, just count count me and the audience who will be listening to this podcast in the in the uh, week to come um, among your growing list of uh, supporters and fans will be uh, looking to see you um, wearing, uh, I guess in that one, the Union Jack um, uniform in Paris 2024. So absolute pleasure. What uh, I always like to give my guests the sort of final words or thoughts. Um, what, what final thoughts might you have for, a, for the podcast audience? Um, just just find, find something that you, you love, whether it be as a hobby or whether it be something that you want to pursue and, and give it your all. You know, I picked up a table tennis bat not knowing where it could take me, but I loved it and I enjoyed it and I've been privileged enough that it's took me all over the world. So find something you love and, and keep doing it. Uh, words of words of concise wisdom. Many thanks, Martin. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.